0: This is The Daily Signal podcast for Monday, May 24th. I'm Robert Bluey.
1: And I'm Virginia Allen. On today's show, Rob talks with Tim Murtaugh, the former communications director for President Donald Trump's 2020 re-election campaign, and a Heritage Foundation visiting fellow and Daily Signal contributor. They discuss why President Biden is getting such favorable coverage from the news media.
0: We also read your letters to the editor and share a good news story about a college athlete who just became the first person with Down syndrome to compete in an athletic collegiate championship event.
1: Before we get to today's show, Rob and I want to tell you about the best job placement program for conservatives, the Heritage Foundation's Job Bank.
0: The Heritage Job Bank connects conservatives of all career levels to jobs with conservative employers all over the country for free. If you sign up, the Job Bank will send you new job openings every week and invite you to their virtual job fairs and career seminars. The Job Bank team also offers one-on-one career consultations.
1: Signing up is easy. Just go to heritage.org slash Job Bank and click on Register Today.
0: Now stay tuned for today's show, coming up next. We are joined on The Daily Signal podcast today by Tim Murtaugh, the former communications director for President Donald Trump's re-election campaign, and now a visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation and contributor to The Daily Signal. Tim, welcome back to the podcast.
2: Great to be with you again, Rob. Happy to be here.
0: Well, the world has certainly changed in the last month since we spoke. Uh, Masks are now out. The Middle East is ablaze. Inflation is on the rise, gas prices are also up, uh, the border crisis is worse it seems than it was before and the Biden administration appears to be unable or unprepared uh, to lead us through these, uh, these many uh, chaotic moments that uh, our country finds itself in. Tim, do
2: you think the American people miss Donald Trump yet? <laughs> uh, I should think that they would. I mean, when when Donald Trump was president, I know people had to had to suffer the mean tweets, and that's what always had the media a uh, Twitter, so to speak. Uh, but the uh, the president President Trump, that is, was always very decisive, and you knew precisely where he stood. And uh, let's take a look at at the the coronavirus situation. The the news media said that he couldn't do it. Said that it was impossible. That the timeline that he had set forth with uh, Operation Warp Speed was unattainable. And here we are now in the in the Biden administration, and the the multiple vaccines that were created under President Trump's Operation Warp Speed uh, are allowing Joe Biden to take credit for the path that we're on in in uh, beginning to emerge from the coronavirus uh, pandemic. And so I, I think that President Trump laid the groundwork for a lot of the things that Joe Biden is going to be able to take credit for. And I think Americans ought to be able to remember that it really was only four months ago that the guy who put all these policies in place was in office. And then if you look at the ones that Joe Biden has undone, like unraveling the President Trump's border policies and absolutely creating the crisis, and that's what it is, it's a crisis on our southern border, even though the Biden White House won't use that word, uh, you can see that the Trump policies were actually working for this country and where Joe Biden has made changes, it uh, has blown up. Tim, you talk about the success of Operation
0: Warp Speed, and it really was tremendous. And the efforts that, uh, that the Trump administration made, uh, of course, Vice President Pence leading the, the coronavirus task force, so many people uh, contributing to that effort uh, throughout the, the final year of his, his term in office yet president biden talks so often about the importance of bipartisanship and working with republicans it strikes me as odd that he's unwilling to give president trump any credit or acknowledgement for the success and the reason he was uh, set up in the way that he was why do you think it is so difficult for him to acknowledge his predecessors work
2: well he's not permitted to by his liberal democrat base i, I mean i think that's pretty obvious you are not permitted uh, in any capacity if you are a democrat to acknowledge that donald trump ever did anything worth noting positively i mean jen Psaki, the white house press secretary has been directly asked how come you don't got you guys don't give any credit to donald trump for operation warp speed and the vaccines and she says we try not to talk about the former administration as often as we possibly can so there are they are flatly refusing to acknowledge that the prior administration did anything worthy of praise or support. And I think that is extremely partisan. And it's because, as we said all along during the campaign in 2019 and 2020, it's because Joe Biden is absolutely a prisoner of the extreme left. And if anybody from the Biden administration were to get up, or God forbid, the president himself, get up and say, hey, you know what, Donald Trump did some pretty good things on X, Y, and Z, the left would erupt. And so Joe Biden absolutely can't do that. That's why.
0: Tim, your most recent column touches on the media's failure to accurately cover or critically report on some of the failures of the Biden administration, some of which you've already touched on here. One outlet even suggests that they're mere brush fires. Uh, Has any... Any president benefited as much from this favorable media coverage in your lifetime than President Biden?
2: No, I mean, this is really something to behold for you. have What has happened here is that you have a press corps who worked as hard as they could for four entire years, including during the presidential campaign to undermine and defeat the incumbent president, Donald J. Trump. And now. They've got their guy. Now, maybe it wasn't the guy they would choose, Joe Biden, but he is their guy. Once he became the Democrat nominee, he became the candidate of the press corps. And now that he's president, he is the president of the press corps. He is one of them. There's no question of that. And Joe Biden, the, the column you just mentioned, we, Joe Biden was set up for uh, an easy glide path into success. There were so many things lined up. The economy was coming back. The country is emerging from the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, The Middle East was in peace. The economy was roaring. Millions of jobs being added. uh, And all he had to do, really, was not screw it up. He's like a, a golfer going into the final hole of a tournament with a three-shot lead, and all he has to do is keep it in the short grass, and he'll win the tournament. But instead, Joe Biden has been in the woods and in the water and in the sand trap and out of bounds, and, and he's blowing it, just like uh, we've all seen golfers do with the jitters on the on the 18th or the, the 72nd hole of, of a golf tournament. And so what he's done is he's thrown so much federal money Uh, at the coronavirus problem and at the economy, that he has made it more beneficial for people to stay on unemployment benefits than to take jobs. We've got 8.1 million open, available jobs in this country. And from coast to coast, small businesses, restaurants, all kinds of employers say that they can't get people to come to work because the benefits of unemployment are better. And now we have the very real fear of inflation. Inflation. People won't take the jobs. There's so much money being thrown at Americans. Uh, you, you know, they talk about uh, the spending to rescue America. They have effectively doubled the size of the federal government in just the first four months of Joe Biden's administration. So it, it, it's, it's really, really reckless. And, and Joe Biden is in the process of blowing the, the pre- pretty easy setup that he had.
0: Tim, as you talk about some of those issues, and I want to delve into a couple of those in just a moment, but as, as you think about the press's coverage, I mean, let's face it, when Bill Clinton was in office, the conservatives complained that he was getting an easy ride, same thing with Barack Obama, but there was a point in each of their presidencies where you did see critical... And, and unflattering stories from, from the news media. I'm not suggesting there haven't been any from, uh, from media outlets uh, that, that paint the Biden administration in a negative light. But the overarching narrative tends to be focused uh, on, on the positive things or excusing uh, some of the, the crises that he may find himself in. What is it going to take or do you think that the press corps has just fundamentally changed and we won't ever see a, a press corps that uh, is, uh, is tough on a Democrat or president?
2: No, I I mean, unless something radically changes and it may take a generation of reporters, I don't know. But, you know, take a look at Lester Holt, who's the lead anchor at NBC News. He got an Edward R. Murrow Award recently, and he said, this is a direct quote from the anchor of NBC Nightly News, fairness is overrated, he said. And so I think that the entire press corps has given itself permission to take sides I think they absolutely have. Just look at the the Politico for one and the Associated Press for another. Politico is a very inside the Beltway publication, but the Associated Press reaches virtually every news outlet uh, in the country and around the world. Those two news outlets have said that their reporters are not to use the word crisis to describe what's happening at the southern border. Now, why is that? Well, it so happens that the Biden administration won't use that word either, and they went first. And so now the AP and Politico are falling in line saying they're not gonna use that word either. Well, it is a crisis. And when you have these two major news outlets towing the line and following the lead of the administration in not wanting to acknowledge that what's happening at the southern border is bad and is in fact a crisis, you have the effect of, Major news outlets, which uh, influence all other news outlets, the Associated Press absolutely does, willing to run cover for the administration. It really, frankly, is unheard of for something that widespread to be happening and for them to have given themselves cover to actually take sides in a political debate. Really, it's not healthy for journalism, certainly, and I don't believe it's healthy for the people of this country. Uh, Tim, uh, one other story
0: that has come out recently, which actually some some New York Times reporters, uh, Jeremy Peters in particular, criticized was the White House demanding that they have quote approval on reporters' uh, stories, particularly if they give a background interview, uh, the White House does, and they want the reporter to then send the quote back to them to review it before they allow it to uh, be printed or published. Uh, certainly, <laughs> I can't. As somebody who's been on both sides, um, on the journalism side, on the communications side, I, I can't imagine many reporters granting me that uh, that permission. Um, but uh, but it's also uh, come under criticism because, frankly, it's another example of how the Biden administration is maybe playing uh, by a different set of rules than than what happened previously, in Republican and Democratic administrations. You've been in the communications business a long time. What's your take on this particular uh, thing that's popped up?
2: Well, you know, I'm, I don't get up in arms about that necessarily, because, you know, I, in the course of my career, I've had uh, reporters send us the quotes that they plan to use. That doesn't mean that we get, quote, approval. That means that they were giving a, giving us a heads up. Hey, this is what I took from the interview. Uh, heads up. This is the quote that I'm going to use. Uh, we never had a situation where we had final authority to say whether uh, something that was said on the record was allowed to be used or not, or to be able to edit those quotes and i i I don't think that that's something that's normal Uh, i also don't think that it's normal for the press corps to be relying so much on anonymous sources and in many cases anonymous single sources uh, we had a pretty embarrassing episode for the Washington Post and some others uh, when there, this phone call from the Georgia Secretary of State, and, and an elections official, had a conversation, phone conversation with Donald Trump while he was still president. And based on a single anonymous source, everyone wrote a story attributing quotes to Donald Trump. And then months later, the actual tape of the conversation came out. And Donald Trump had never said those things. And, and three major news organizations, the Washington Post and a couple of others, had to issue retractions. Now, how is it that a single anonymous source could be the basis of a story without anybody actually check, checking to see that the source was, in fact, accurate? And then somehow other publications were able to independently confirm the first story. It's amazing. And then, of course, they were all wrong. So there's a lot of practices that go on, uh, both in journalism and on the White House side, that I don't think that we've really seen before. And uh, and again, it's, it's just not a healthy situation.
0: Tim, I attribute some of this to a failure of, uh, of journalism programs, but also newsrooms themselves for not uh, having uh, better standards. For instance... I remember years ago when I was, uh, as somebody who has a journalism degree, Intro to Journalism was taught by a professor who was more interested in uh, pursuing kind of a socialist (laughs) activist ideology in terms of how you pursue journalism than actually teaching the fundamentals. Um, Fortunately, um, there was a a change in professor during the course of the semester. So I was able to get an intro to journalism class where we had at least a standard of three sources needing to verify something. So you didn't rely on a single person who could have an agenda and be steering a reporter in the wrong way. There's a reason that you check with multiple sources in a situation like that, particularly at an organization like the Washington Post, you'd think that they'd have a standard in place where where that was uh, more important. So yeah, I I hear exactly what you're saying. I I, uh, bemoan that. It's why I think here at The Daily Signal, we stress the importance of, of that and why I get frustrated when, when other organizations with a lot more resources and uh, significantly larger staff uh, can't abide by those same standards.
2: Yeah, I think that's important. Another thing I want to bring up that I I think is bad for journalism and therefore the the public at large is social media. You know, a lot of these reporters have Twitter accounts. I I would say actually 100 percent of them have Twitter accounts. And that's a place that for one reason or another, all these reporters feel pretty safe in uh spitting out their hot takes on any given on any given topic and, and injecting an awful lot of opinion in the two hundred and eighty characters of of a tweet and and so that is a very easy way to have those kinds of opinions bleed over into their actual reporting you know I, I know that reporters chase. Uh, retweets and likes on on uh, on Twitter like everybody else does. everyone likes to see that what they have said is interesting to other people. but it encourages journalism to, to journalists to to issue all of these hot takes and show how witty they can be and show how woke they can be and and uh, you know, I think it's not too hard to see that all of these takes that the reporters just spew out all the time always seem to trend in one direction. They're always coming from the left. And and I I don't think it's healthy for reporters to feel like they have absolute, complete free reign uh, to, to exhibit their personal opinions and not have to ever really play the role of an objective journalist.
0: And, and Tim, on on that note, I wanna mention a story that's, uh, that's more localized that maybe some of our listeners aren't aware of, but Virginia recently had its Republican convention, uh, nominated a black woman for lieutenant governor, a Cuban American for attorney general. And you've pointed out that uh, for all of the stories that are written about the historic firsts that are happening in politics across the country, somehow this was just overlooked on the part of a lot of reporters. <laughs>
2: Yeah, somehow uh, the Republican ticket in Virginia did not come to the attention of the the Washington, D.C. or the Beltway media or any media, frankly. Not even the Virginia media has paid attention to this. NBC News wrote a story just a few few days ago uh, about all of the black women who are going to be candidates in the 2022 cycle. And it did not mention... Winsome Sears, now she's the 2021 cycle, but still the, the, the point holds. Winsome Sears is the Republican candidate for Lieutenant Governor in Virginia. She is the first ever black woman nominated for a statewide office in Virginia history. Now, her misfortune is that she's a Republican and therefore the media doesn't pay any attention to her. And she won't, you know, if she were a Democrat, you'd see stories about her with the word historic in the headline over and over and over again. But because she's a republican they want to erase her and pretend that she has not broken this barrier she's the first black woman ever nominated for a statewide office in virginia history virginia is the mother of presidents it's the cradle of our democracy and she's the first black woman ever nominated statewide and the media could care less it's remarkable and then that leads us, of course, to Jason Miares, who's the Republican nominee for attorney general. And he is of Cuban descent, uh, and he's a very strong conservative, and he rails against what his family experienced in prior generations escaping from the Castro regime and the socialist paradise that is Cuba. And of course, the mainstream media doesn't want to hear any of that either. And so uh, Winsome Sears and, and Jason Miares have broken barriers in Virginia. And if we weren't allowed to talk about it here, you and me, Rob, I don't think anybody would ever hear about it. <laughs> That's true. Tim, that
0: is so true. Well, well. speaking of breaking through the news cycle, um, even after being exiled from social media, President Trump is still making news. Uh, he's ramped up his commentary of late, uh, both on current events and, uh, and, and political matters. Uh, he even was able to dominate an entire news cycle when he compared President Biden to Jimmy Carter. How do you see President Trump, having previously worked for him, shaping the debate in the future, even if he's not allowed to have a Twitter account or a Facebook account?
2: Well, he, he still clearly does, and I, I think it really chafes the news media that he is able to control news cycles like that. It was made easier that the Carter reference, the Carter comparison, by you pointed out to me, by the, <clears throat> the really bizarrely proportioned photo that the Carter Library released when the Bidens went to visit. We had giant Joe Biden and little Jimmy Carter and uh, and their wives there. It was a very strangely composed photograph. But President Trump absolutely uh, has a way of throwing a a wrench into a, a news cycle if he so chooses. He's not on Twitter, he's not on Facebook, he's not on YouTube. But he puts out statements every day um, and uh, they call them press uh, tweet or something like that. So and the news media picks them up and he comments on various things, sometimes multiple times a day. And he is a former president. And as much as the media likes to pretend that, oh, they hate President Trump and they're tired of the tone and the mean tweets and all that stuff, they can't get enough. And so when he puts out statements, it really does royal uh, the uh, the the news cycle for, the, for that given day. And uh, with regard to how long that's going to be, and the president, President Trump, still controls the the, the the momentum and really the heart and soul of the Republican party, he absolutely does. And it's because of the policies that he enacted. They were so successful for the American people, and we can see how successful they were because Joe Biden is undoing them and causing lots of problems all over the place. And the the, the rank and file of Republicans in this country still stand by those policies and the man who brought them to the country. And that's why the President Trump still has so much influence, is because so many millions of Americans still uh, respect and admire and want more of that kind of leadership. And so uh, Republicans in Congress and those running for governor or any office anywhere else, uh, they need to have the support of the voters who still support President Trump. And that's why President Trump still has so so much great influence.
0: Well, and, and Tim, let's end on this question because
2: Republicans on
0: Capitol Hill are confronting some big legislative challenges. The American Families Plan, uh, the uh, election integrity bills, whether it's uh, H.R. 1 or H.R. 4, uh, both of those seem to be um, still, still out there and moving and a threat to our election integrity. Uh, a major infrastructure package, which, of course, we know is you know, not much infrastructure, but a lot of other things that the left wants to prioritize. What is your advice to them as they go forward and confront some of these big legislative priorities on the
2: left? Uh, well, I, I don't think they need my advice. Particularly, I think they know what's going on. But it's important for them to t- still stand for the principles and understand that what the Democrats are doing is trying to ram through all of these radical uh, ideas during this uh, we we hope small window where liberals can can pass things with the numbers that they have uh, in Congress. They want to federalize the elections. That's what HR one and S one are all about making sure that liberals cement their power in not only federal office, but in state office for decades to come. Uh, The infrastructure bill, you mentioned it, less than 10 percent of the money that's spent that is planned to be spent in that infrastructure bill goes to things like highways and bridges and railways and airports and seaports. Everything else is a liberal wish list. And Look, they are effectively, with all this spending, as I said before, they are effectively doubling the size of the federal government in just the first four months of Joe Biden's administration. And when the Republicans block that, uh, the Democrats cast that as, oh, they're standing in the way of getting rid of authoritarianism as though objecting to the doubling of the federal government is somehow authoritarianism. I, I thought when government gets big, that is authoritarianism. So everything is backwards. And I think the Republicans have to effectively message this because, you know, the Democrats make it an easy sell all the time. Very often they say, oh, we want fair elections and leave it at that and don't explain exactly what it means uh, when, the, when they're actually making it easier to cheat in elections.
0: Well, Tim Murtaugh, thank you so much for joining us on The Daily Signal podcast. We appreciate your contributions to The Daily Signal, and we look forward to talking to you again soon.
1: Virginia Allen here. I want to tell you all about one of my favorite podcasts. Heritage Explains is a weekly podcast that breaks down all the policy issues we hear about in the news at a 101 level. Hosts Michelle Cordero and Tim Descher mix in news clips and music to tell a story, but also bring in heritage experts to help break down complex issues. Heritage Explains offers quick 10 to 15 minute explainers that bring you up to speed in an entertaining way. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We even put the full episode on YouTube.
0: Thanks for sending us your letters to the editor. Each Monday, we feature our favorites on this show. Virginia, who's up first?
1: In response to Dennis Prager's piece, Men Give Birth, America was founded in 1619 and Israel is the aggressor, Woody Savage of Cordova, Tennessee writes, Great article. It is amazing that we Americans sat out for most of World War II while six million Jews, men, women, and children were killed before we eventually actively entered the war. How soon we choose to forget our history. Israel needs our support, and we need to remind the world that Israel has as much right to exist as do all the Arab states.
0: And in response to former Vice President Mike Pence's latest Daily Signal column, Democrats could end border crisis quickly. Instead, they're making it worse. Al Vanderstoof of Birmingham, Alabama writes, I agree with everything former Vice President Mike Pence wrote. Sometimes reality is hard to see, hard to look at, difficult to comprehend. This plague needs a vaccine, a wall at our border, and enforcement of our laws against criminal activity. Thank you, Mr. Pence, for your insightful article.
1: Your letter could be featured on next week's show, so send us an email at letters at daily Virginia Allen here. I want to tell you all about a great way you can stay in the know on all the news the Daily Signal covers social media. The Daily Signal has an active presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We are constantly posting news stories. Clips from interviews, videos, and more across all our social platforms. Follow the Daily Signal on social media so you can get all the latest content from reels on Instagram to video clips on Facebook and political commentary on Twitter.
0: Virginia, you have a good news story to share with us on this Monday. Over to you.
1: Thanks so much, Rob. For the past two years, athlete Amy Bachersteady has been capturing the attention of the golfing community and Americans across the country. Amy has Down syndrome, but that has not kept her from pursuing her love of golf. She made history several years ago when she became the first person with Down syndrome to earn a college athletic scholarship. In mid-May, Amy made history again, becoming the first person with Down syndrome to play an athletic collegiate championship event. Amy attends Paradise Valley Community College in Arizona, where she's in her third season of golf. About a week ago, the 22-year-old competed in the National Junior College Athletic Association Women's Golf Tournament in Florida. And while Amy may not have taken home any trophies, the event was a big win for her and all aspiring athletes. Amy's mom Jenny told ESPN that people are just moved by her and she loves people. Amy's dad Joe says his daughter's story has meaning for different people in different ways noting that one family brought their 12-year-old daughter who has Down syndrome to the tournament just to meet Amy. Amy and her dad, Joe, joined CBS News before the tournament to talk about Amy's love of the game.
0: I like meeting new friends at the tournament. I have fun. Yeah, we joke in our family that Amy plays golf in order to meet new friends.
1: Amy has made many new friends playing golf. Her teammates told AZ Family that she is a great support to them on their good days and their bad days. Every time any of us have a bad tournament, she's always sitting on the 18th hole ready to give us all a hug. Like, I love Amy. Amy first gained national attention in 2019 when she played the 16th hole during a practice round at the Waste Management Phoenix Dream Day with PGA Tour player Gary Woodland. Amy was lined up for a putt shot after hitting the ball out of a sand trap and told Woodland with confidence, I got this. What do you think?
2: Going a little left? Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and make that?
1: Okay.
0: I got this. You got it? Yeah. Let's do it.
1: Amy made that shot, and the words, I got this, became Amy's tagline as the video of her playing with Woodland went viral. After that, Amy and her family started a foundation called the I Got This Foundation to inspire people with intellectual disabilities to find joy and confidence through the game of golf. And earlier this year, the foundation went a step further, starting the I Got This Golf Academy to teach the game of golf to others with Down syndrome. About 20 individuals with intellectual disabilities are now learning to love the game of golf over the course of an eight-week class. Amy says now her tagline is, we got this. You can learn more about Amy's story and the Golf Academy by visiting her website, igotthis.foundation.
0: Virginia, thanks so much for sharing that inspiring story. It's great to hear about this young woman doing such phenomenal things. Absolutely. Fantastic.
1: It really is encouraging.
0: Well, we're going to leave it there for today. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on the Rick Shea Audio Network. All of our shows are available at DailySignal.com podcasts.
1: You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to listen every weekday by adding the Daily Signal podcast as part of your Alexa flash briefing.
0: If you like what you hear, please leave us a review and a five-star rating. It means a lot to us and helps us spread the word to other listeners.
1: Be sure to follow us on Twitter at DailySignal and Facebook.com slash The Daily Signal News.
0: Have a great week. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation.
2: It is executive produced by Rob Bluey and Virginia Allen. Sound designed by
1: Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.